Welcome to sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Reverend Dr. Matthew Richard. from Philippians chapter 3. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of Jesus, amen. The Apostle Paul tells you and me as well as those Christians in Philippi, to imitate him. Yes, he tells the Christians in Philippi to imitate himself. He says to those Christians that he wants them to follow his example. Today, some 2,000 years later, the same words apply to you and me right here, right now. We, too, should imitate the Apostle Paul. We should indeed imitate the Apostle Paul. But what are we to imitate? What example should we follow? What does it look like? What does it sound like to imitate the Apostle Paul? Over the last several hundred years, well-intentioned Christians have had many different recipes, if you will, of what a Christian should look like, talk like, and act like. Yes, many different recipes. For example, in one custom, let's call this custom the quiet mice. They are Christians that believe that you're supposed to be super pious, quiet, and meek. The women are supposed to be softly devoted to the kitchen, and the men are supposed to speak with a holy and effeminate whisper in their voice, while their children are to be seen but never heard. This is a custom, perhaps, that is out there. In another custom, let's call this custom the glory fanatics. Yes, the glory fanatics. These Christians are supposed to be very energetic and emotional. Both the men and the women in this kind of custom are supposed to be extremely positive, full of spirituality, and they talk with many Christian slogans while hyper-spiritualizing every single situation and every single circumstance in life. And who can forget the sermon scribes? This custom is where Christians are supposed to be armed with a notebook and pen, to record every little thing they hear from the church service and Bible study so that they can ensure that they are walking the straight and narrow. For the sermon scribes, yes, for the sermon scribes, every T must be crossed, every I must be dotted as they walk the straight and narrow. And then there are the, yes, get this, the coffee hour socialites. These people, they excel, they excel at small talk, well, they navigate through every conversation, every small group, every social event of the church. 
They connect with everyone with ease. Friendship and fellowship, well, that is the name of their game. And last but certainly not least are the potluck protégés. These are the ones that turn every potluck into a culinary event. They are masters and commanders of volunteering to get things done. Now, let's be perfectly clear. We could actually name a bunch more, a bunch more, but we cannot for the sake of time. Nonetheless, with these examples, we must be perfectly clear that there is, now hear me correctly, there's nothing wrong with these customs. In fact, many of these customs that we poked at for fun today fit a number of us here in this sanctuary. So what's the point then? The point is this. We often will take these various groups and we'll try to convince people in the church to follow an example of one of these groups, one of these customs, if you will. In other words, to be a Christian, what must a person look like? What kind of example must they follow? What must they talk like and act like and so forth? Obviously, according to the quiet mice, Christians are supposed to, well, imitate them by being docile, by being perhaps meek, effeminate, and quiet. However, for the glory fanatics, the glory enthusiasts, Christians should not be meek and docile and effeminate and quiet, but they should follow their example of being positive, spiritually charged, and on fire for Jesus. But then we can keep on going. The sermon scribes, they come along, and they say, no way, Christians are to follow our example, imitate us, by being academic scribes who walk the straight and narrow path. The coffee hour socialites, they come along and they roll their eyes, and they say that Christians should imitate them by, well, strengthening relationships in the church and building lasting friendships, for that's what matters to them. And then the potluck protégés, they come along, they say, enough games, enough games, enough heady knowledge. You need to follow our example as we whip the church into shape. Now, dear friends, again, these customs are perfectly fine. In fact, they fit many different personalities. However, the point that is being made, they become problematic when Christians are encouraged to follow them as if these various customs encapsulate what it means to be a Christian. That is to say, when the Apostle Paul tells the Christians, as we heard here this morning in the book of Philippians, when the Apostle Paul tells the Christians at Philippi to imitate him, he's not telling the Christians to become perhaps quiet mice. He's not telling them to become glory fanatics. He's not telling those Christians at Philippi to become sermon scribes and so forth. You get the picture. The example that Paul is leaving with the Christians is not for them to be coffee socialites or potluck protégés. He's not placing himself before the Christians so that they may watch him diligently to learn how to look and talk and act specifically. Tragically, over the years, I've seen way too many pastors, tragically, way too many pastors take on the personality, the mannerisms, and the idiosyncrasies of a favorite professor at seminary, thinking that if they follow this example of what they believe a pastor should look like and talk like and act like, they follow that professor and they emulate and they imitate that professor in the actual parish. 
And parishioners, they can make the same mistake too. They will often copy the mannerisms, the personalities, and the idiosyncrasies of a pastor, or perhaps maybe a popular church speaker or an author, thinking that they are somehow fulfilling that role of looking like and talking like and acting like a Christian. So what does all this mean? What is Paul saying to the Christians in Philippi and to us today? What does it mean to follow the example of the Apostle Paul? If it doesn't mean being a, well, a quiet mouse, if it doesn't mean to be a glory fanatic, if it doesn't mean to be a coffee socialite and so forth, if it means none of that, what is Paul saying? What is Paul saying to you and to me? What example must we follow? Is he calling us to follow today? The answer, and in a simple word, it's to suffer. You heard that correctly. To suffer. Dear friends, the Apostle Paul bids you and me this day to follow his example of suffering. Now keep in mind that he's not talking about suffering through not getting a promotion at work. He's not talking about suffering like him with perhaps a health struggle or suffering due to a mental health problem. While all of these are indeed forms of suffering, no doubt about it, they are indeed forms of suffering. They're not the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about. Not the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about. You see, the kind of suffering that Paul is talking about, the kind of suffering that he has in mind, is the kind of, get this, cheerful sacrifice of anything and everything to have Christ. In other words, when the Apostle Paul learned to know Christ, everything else was actually lowered to its proper place. And as all of this other stuff in life was lowered to its proper place, while Paul, he suffered. Let's be very honest with ourselves. We live in a day and a time when a great deal of people are willing and wanting to be a Christian unless they're suffering, unless they're suffering. They want to wear a crown of glory, but not a crown of thorns. They want to wear a robe of splendor, but not a scarlet robe of mockery. They want a smooth, decorative cross, but not a cross with slivers. They want glory and triumph, but not suffering. They want a crossless, actually. They want a crossless Jesus without blood, a Jesus without blood, a Jesus without suffering. They want the excitement of Easter Sunday without the darkness of Good Friday. Let's be a little bit blunter, if you will. We all want a version of Christianity that is convenient, something that does not cut into school and sports and hunting and camping and work, or sleeping in on Sundays, because if it did, well, that would cause us to suffer. Furthermore, we want a version of Christianity that does not collide with the morals of our friends. We want a version of Christianity that, well, it does not come into conflict with the outlook of our neighbors or the conviction of extended family members, because if it did, well, that would cause us to suffer. Deep down, because of this wretched, sinful nature that we all have, we want a cheap Jesus and a thin, flimsy Christianity that we can toss in the trash at our own will or bend to our will to avoid suffering. Now, dear friends, you need to know 
I don't like preaching this sermon. To be truthful, it's causing me a little bit of suffering to write and to preach. It makes me uncomfortable. I'm sure that you don't like hearing it as well. However, regardless of your feelings and mine, the fact still remains that there is no halfway house between the cross of Christ and the world itself. Paul is quite clear that belonging to Jesus will result, he's quite clear that belonging to Jesus will result in suffering. That is how it works. That is how it works. Let's make this really clear and easy for us to understand this morning. Since Jesus Christ defeated sin, since Jesus Christ defeated death itself and the devil, and since Jesus snatched you from darkness unto light, you and I, we belong to Jesus. And since you and I belong to the Christ, you and I are at war with the devil, which will cause us suffering when he attacks. When we were baptized, a target was put on our back, which causes suffering at the hands of the devil as he throws flaming arrows at us. Furthermore, since you and I belong to the Christ and his word of truth, we are at war with the ideologies of the world, which will cause us often not to go with the flow of the world, resulting in possible suffering at the hands of the world. And finally, since you and I belong to Jesus and his grace and his mercy, we are at war right here with our sinful old Adam. Yes, hear this loud and clear. You and I, we will suffer every single day as you and I repent of our sins, remember our baptisms, and cling to the promises of God as this damn sinful nature drowns and dies daily in repentance and faith as we return to the waters of our baptism daily. Baptized saints, either Christ rose from the grave or he is still dead in the tomb. If he's still dead in the tomb, then all of this church stuff, it does not matter. We're just wasting our time if he's still dead in the tomb. However, if Christ has risen from the grave, everything changes. You see, that's what Paul is getting at this morning when the resurrected Jesus Christ actually ambushed Paul on that Damascus road Paul's world blew up that day. It absolutely was destroyed that day as he was ambushed by Jesus on that Damascus road. Everything that Paul stretched for, everything that Paul pursued, everything that Paul valued, everything that held worth to Paul, all of it was put, well, it was put on the same level as Paul says, on the same level as horse manure and dog dung compared to the surpassing richness of Jesus. Everything that Paul thought was so important in life it fell away. It fell away compared to the surpassing richness and that high privilege of knowing Christ and Christ knowing him. Baptized saints, listen up. We belong to a real Christ who really lived, who really died, who really rose from the grave and who really lives on on high, ascended at the right hand of the Father. And so because the world, because of sin, and the devil hate Jesus Christ, and because you and I belong to Christ, we will suffer. We will suffer. But you know what? That's okay. I'm here to tell you today that, that is okay. That is okay because we will suffer 
just like Paul. We will suffer just like those who suffered before us. You see, we're not alone. You're not alone in your suffering because you have Jesus and you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who have suffered before you. We will be okay because we are together as a church. We will be okay because we have the Christ who is for us. We will be okay because you and I keep in mind that we are citizens not of this world, but citizens of the kingdom of God, and that kingdom, it lasts forever. We will be okay through the suffering because the Lord Jesus Christ will soon take you and me home to himself where he will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. You will be okay. Christ has you. You have Christ through this veil of tears as he sustains you, keeps you grounded in the faith, and pours his grace upon you every single day through his word and sacraments. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thy strong word bespeaks us righteous, bright with thine own holiness. Thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon. You can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from Pastor Matthew Richard's blog at www.pastormatrichard.org or visit St. Paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org. The Lord bless and keep you.